The scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter 4. We're reading verses 12 to 19. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19. This is a reading of God's word. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Amen. That's a reading of God's word. Please join me in prayer. Father, we pray for this season of our church and we pray God as we desire to hear from you to know you we pray God that this word would be consolation this word would give us direction this word would fill us with your hope we pray this in Jesus name amen amen well this is a, a strange season for for all of us uh, going through this and looking for light at the end of the tunnel everything seems a bit uh, Everything seems upside down. Uh, I have three kids, and all of our kids are in in school uh, online. Every morning we have to wake up, we have to get them on a Zoom, and they're staring at a screen for hours during the day. Uh, Nina, she teaches at a college, and she spends a lot of her time reviewing video. Uh, college students, graduate students, when they're uh, taking tests now, they have to be on their computers but their computer records them there's software that anytime you're taking a test and you look off your screen it records you it flags you a testing for cheating and she has to review footage of all the flagged footage students have to be locked in literally glued to their screen they cannot look anywhere else they cannot look at their phone it's a strange season school online most of you are working from home, managing life, uh, and it's difficult. You know, it's difficult being isolated from people, from family, from friends. Even when we see them, we have to be at a distance. Even more than that, there's real suffering happens happening. Um, uh, at the very beginning of COVID, we lost one of our most beloved members to COVID. Many of you have family and friends who are sick, who are suffering, who are going through hard times. And in suffering, we have a lot of questions. Um, we, we wonder what God is doing. We wonder if God is angry at us. Is God angry at our country? Is God angry at the world? What is God up to? We ask the why question. We wonder if God hears us, if he's indifferent to our pain. Today, we're going to look at how God works through suffering. We're going to look at the idea that suffering is God's will for our life. It's God's will for our life. That it's not a strange thing, but it's something we should expect. 
Suffering is God's road to glory. His road to glory always begins with suffering. So in here in 1 Peter 4, Peter gives us a summary statement of what suffering is about. He's been talking about it all throughout his letter, but he summarizes it here neatly for us. And here in 1 Peter 4, I want to talk about three things. First, making sense of suffering. Secondly, redemptive suffering. And finally, the God of suffering. And Peter begins by helping us make sense of suffering. Peter writes this letter to Christians who are under fire. They're living under the Roman Empire. They are new Christians. And the Roman Empire is increasingly hostile to them because they don't Christians don't participate in civic activities. They don't worship the same national deities. They don't do everything else, and they are seemingly a threat to that society. They're coming under fire. Peter writes this to encourage them. In verse 12, he says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter calls Christians beloved, loved by God. And he says, don't panic. Don't think it's strange when life is hard, when people are against you, when times are difficult. Don't think it's strange. It's not strange. You know, we're hard, hardwired to think that when if we are good, God is going to be good to us. If we are loved by God, he will shower us with good things. If God is good and if he loves us, logically speaking, shouldn't our life be just filled with blessings? Shouldn't life be like going to Coachella? Like it's music, it's dancing, it's fun. Shouldn't that be the Christian life? If God loves us, if we are his children, shouldn't life be amazing, adventure, beautiful, laughter, Joy. Shouldn't that be the Christian life? Our culture is also filled with this idea of if you are good, you'll get good things back. That's karma. If you put good out into the universe, the universe will give you back good things. The American dream, that's the American dream, right? If you work hard, if you try to improve yourself, you will succeed. You'll get places in life. That's the American dream. Conversely, if you follow that logic, conversely, if you do bad things, what? Bad things will happen to you. For instance, when a sports team loses and a a reporter goes into the locker room, nobody says, I want to thank God for the loss. Nobody says that. They only thank God when they win. And the assumption is God's not with them in the loss. Uh, when bad things happen to us, we think, man, I must have done something bad. In John chapter 9, Jesus is walk, walking with his disciples when they come upon a man who is born blind. This is what the disciples asked Jesus. As he passed by, he saw a man, John 9, 1 to 2, man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They see a man born blind, and automatically the assumption is somebody messed up. This man messed up or his parents messed up, but someone messed up for him to be born blind. If something bad happens to me, 
somebody must have messed up. That's the logic that all of us operate with. On the one hand, Peter does say some suffering is our fault. That's why in verse 15, he adds a caveat. Verse 15, he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. He says, sometimes we do suffer because of our own foolishness, because of our own mistake, because of our own sin. Sometimes that's true. As I said last week, sometimes Christians suffer and are persecuted, not because they're good, but because they're very bad, because they're very hypocritical. They're hate hateful. They don't love their enemies. And sometimes that's why Christians are persecuted. But listen to the overall message of what Peter is saying. Overall, what Peter is saying is that suffering is not related to our sin. It's not related to being good or bad. Peter talks about suffering as in this chapter and verse, he calls it a trial. It's a trial that is meant to test us. He says, when we suffer for righteousness, Christ's righteousness is upon us. If suffering only comes to those who do bad, how do you explain the life of Jesus? Jesus was perfect. He was absolutely righteous, and he suffered in the most extreme way. Jesus was perfectly righteous, but he lived a life of suffering. In John chapter 9, how does Jesus answer the claim that somebody had to have messed up, this man or his parents? John 9, verse 3, Jesus answered it this way. It was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. Jesus said the reason for his blindness has nothing to do with sin, not his sin or his parents' sin, but it was an occasion for God's glory to be revealed. God is going to do glorious things. The pain is a part of God's plan for to display his glory and beauty in us. Suffering is an opportunity for God to be at work in our life. The normal pattern of the Christian life is suffering. Jesus, all of his disciples, and the early church all suffered. In 2 Peter 3, Paul says that anyone who wants to live a godly life will suffer. Suffering is the normal path that God wants for all of his people. That's why in 1 Peter 4, chapter 1, Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Peter said we should be prepared to suffer. If Jesus suffered, he's perfectly righteous. We are his followers. We should prepare to suffer as well. He says, arm yourself. It's a military term. He says, arm yourself, prepare mentally, prepare to suffer. There was a, one of the uh, men, I lead an evangelistic Bible study called Beer and God. One of the men in our group who's been coming out very consistently he last year told me that he is uh, enlisting as an army reserve. And he said that in a few months, he was going to basic training. Basic training is 22 weeks of intense boot camp. He's going to be tested physically and mentally. And so he says to prepare for that, he says, I am working out. I'm getting fit. 
I am just getting mentally prepared to go to basic training. He changed his whole mentality as he got ready to go to basic training. Imagine preparing to go on a vacation and instead you went to boot camp. How difficult would boot camp be, basic training be, if you did not prepare mentally for it? If you're not prepared physically for it, how difficult of an adjustment would that be if you're not prepared? Or mindset is important. Peter says, have the mindset that life is going to be difficult, but that God is going to be with me. He's going to strengthen me. You know, many of us are wishing that this year will go better. And we keep on saying, well, hopefully next month. Things will go up, the cases will go down, things will get back, we'll start to, and then the next month comes and we think, well, hopefully next month. And now we're thinking, hopefully 2021. But what if instead of thinking, I wish things would get better, what if you had the mindset that 2021 is going to be as just as hard as 2020? It's going to be a difficult year, but I'm going to be ready for it. It's going to be tough, but I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be Faithful, and I'm going to lean on God like I never leaned on him before. I'm going to become a person of prayer. I'm going to love deeply and lean on other people. What if you changed your mindset instead of, God, please help things get better. What if you changed your mindset well, to, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to lean on God like I never leaned on him before. What if we changed our mindset? I was reading a story about a special education teacher who spent her life teaching. This is what she says. Before class, I sometimes would sit in the chair of a student who was having a lot of trouble and pray that I might be a blessing to him that day. Yes, for 37 years, I was a teacher, the last 25 as a high school special education teacher. That was my purpose. That was my calling. This teacher, she was a special education teacher in high school, and she said before class, she would get there early, sit in the seat of our most difficult student and pray over him. Pray, God, use me. Help me to reach him. This teacher had a mindset that this class, this student was going to be hard, but I'm going to get there beforehand and prepare. I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to ask God to use me in this difficult situation. This teacher had a mindset. It was going to be tough, but she's leaning on the Lord. She was asking God, give me strength to be stronger than the difficulties. She did that for 37 years. Peter is saying, arm yourself, be prepared to suffer. But the second thing is this. Why does God have to put me through that? Aren't there easier ways for me to get to God than through suffering? And here's the second point, that suffering is redemptive. There is a divine purpose. There is a reason why it is the way to God. Peter is telling these suffering Christians uh, to expect suffering, but he explains it, explains it. In verse 12, he uses the word fiery trial that comes to test us. A test is something in which God knows all about us, but sometimes we don't know about ourselves. 
When we come to a trial or to suffering, we discover who we really are, what's underneath the surface, what is really in us. In Romans 5, 3 to 4, it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Romans says that suffering is God's means to purify us, to make us people of character, to make us people of endurance, to produce in us hope. Think about a coach or a teacher or a parent who wants, who really loves you, but they want you to become excellent. And what do they do? They push you. They put you in uncomfortable places. I'm reading a memoir by Phil Knight. He's the founder of Nike. And he talks about how when he was in college, he had a track coach, a world-renowned track coach. Pushed him like never before. He says one day he... He came to his coach and says, I feel like I'm getting sick. I'm going to have to take this practice off. And this coach says, no, you're not taking this day off. In fact, you're going, you're going harder. I'm pushing you today. And he was so upset that he ran twice as hard. And he got through, he finished first in all of his sprints. And he says, that's the day I became an athlete. I became who I was supposed to be, it was a theme of his life, of failure and pushing through failure and having coaches see things in them and push them to places they had never thought was possible. Everything great goes through the gauntlet of suffering. Everything great is through the prism of hardship, of being pushed, of going through uncomfortable situations. God says that that is my means to sanctify you, to stretch you. The author Parker Palmer wrote a book about suffering, and he says there are two ways people suffer. Some people suffer, and they explode into different shards. Their heart explodes into different shards, and it hits other people. It destroys other people around them. But he says there's a different way to suffer, and he calls it a supple heart. This is what Palmer writes. Then there's a supple heart, the one that breaks open, not apart. The one that can grow into greater capacity for the many forms of love. Only the supple heart can hold suffering in a way that opens to new life. Palmer says one type of suffering can destroy you. Just makes you bitter and cynical and angry and destroys everyone around you. But he says there's another way to approach suffering. It doesn't break you apart. It breaks you open. It makes you more humble. It makes you relate to people who are broken as well. And he calls that the supple heart, and it leads to new life. Peter is talking about a suffering that sanctifies us, that breaks us open, but also brings us closer to Jesus. This is what he says in verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter says that when we suffer, the mindset we are to have is that we share in the sufferings of Jesus. Think about this. Most of Jesus' early life was suffering, most of it. So the only way you can really get to know Jesus' earthly life is through suffering. Only in suffering can we really understand 
the heart of Jesus. Abraham Kuyper, he was a theologian. He started a university. He was also very involved in politics, and his life was insanely busy. And he says at the end of every night, he would kneel at his bed to pray. And above his bed was a cross. And uh, before he began to pray, whenever he was exhausted and discouraged, he would look up to the cross and he would say, what is my suffering compared to yours? What are my hardships compared to what you endured? For Kuiper, he, he brought his sufferings to Jesus and it connected him. It drew him closer to Jesus. In our hardships, we understand the heart of God who suffered for us. Ultimately, suffering is a sign that reminds us of glory. Suffering is a foreshadowing of glory. Jesus didn't just suffer and die. He also resurrected. Suffering reminds us of the glory to come. Verse 14, this is what Peter says. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Peter says that when you're insulted because of Jesus, whenever you are suffer because of Jesus, the spirit of glory comes upon us and rests upon us. What is that? Well, the spirit of glory is another term for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of glory because the spirit brings us glory. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit, everything of Jesus would be outside of us. But the Spirit takes what is Jesus and gives it to us. Spirit's natural domain is heaven. It's glory. Whenever the Spirit is at work in your life, he's taking what is future and breaking it into the present. He's taking the glories of heaven and bringing it down to you in the present. And the promise is whenever we suffer in Jesus' name, the Spirit will come upon us and encourage us and remind us that this is not the end. This, there's darkness, but the light is going to break in, and it gives us a glimpse of that light. The Holy Spirit gives us a foretaste of the joy, of the glory of God right now. The Spirit comforts us and assures us of what is to come. Sometimes uh, when I run, I experienced something called a runner's high. A runner's high is a spike of endorphins that your body gives to you. It's like, uh, it's a natural drug. It's euphoric. It feels amazing. But here's the thing about runner's high. Runner's high only comes when your body, when you're pushing yourself. You don't get runner's high after you run a block. Nobody gets runner's high like that. No, nobody gets runner's high when they run a mile. I've only really consistently experienced a runner, runner's high when I'm training for a marathon. It comes at mile nine or ten or further. Your body gives it to you when it, your body feels exhausted, and the runner's high is meant to encourage you, to bless you. You know, the whole idea of the spirit of glory is that idea is that you can only experience that in deep suffering. When you're at the point of exhaustion, the spirit of God comes upon you to encourage you, to bless you, to say, this is not the end. And I am with you. And it gives you the experience of a glimpse of heaven right now. 
Have you experienced that? It's when you're down low and God shines on you. And it's better. One missionary says that missions for him was like 99% suffering and hard things, but 1% pure joy. And he says that 1% is worth all of the 99%. The tears of joy I cried when I see God save and rescue someone. I wouldn't trade that for anything. The Spirit of God gives us that glimpse of heaven. It's all worth it. This is not the end. Gives us a taste of heaven now. That's the Spirit of glory. Breaks into us, encourages us. us. Ultimately, suffering leads to glory. Suffering leads us to the heart of God. And this is the last point. Suffering leads to glory. It ultimately leads us to the person of Jesus. You know, for Peter, all of suffering was viewed through the lens of Jesus. All the hardships of life, even the good times, the bad times, discouraging time. Peter sees all of life through the lens of Jesus. It was when he talks about suffering, he, he can't help but mention we share in Christ's sufferings. He talks about glory, but it's the glory to come because of Jesus. You know, the thing about Jesus and the reason he was so disbelieved while he lived is that people didn't understand his suffering. They didn't understand his scars. If you look at all of the Gospels, the reason people didn't believe Jesus was God was that he was suffering. They said to him on the cross, Jesus, if you're really God, get yourself down from here. A God would wear a crown, not have a cross. God doesn't have scars. He doesn't suffer. People disbelieved Jesus because he suffered. They're like, God wouldn't suffer. Jesus, why do you have scars? Why are you being persecuted? If you're God, you'd be living this good life. They didn't understand Jesus' suffering. We serve our God with scars. That's what makes Christianity so unique, so different. God has scars. He has battle wounds. Jesus was broken. He came all the way down. Jesus caught the flu. Jesus was heartbroken. He was lonely. All of his friends abandoned him in his his most desperate moment. Jesus has scars. He weeps. He cries. He calls out to God in desperation. You know, because we serve a God with scars, we can come to God with our scars, in our loneliness, in our fatigue. When we're heartbroken, he weeps with us. He meets us there. Ultimately, Jesus doesn't just understand our suffering. He has overcome all of them. You know, in Revelation, it says the songs that we'll be singing about Jesus is, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. The things that we'll be rejoicing about in heaven is not Jesus' triumphs, but his scars. Jesus is a lion and a lamb, but instead of singing Jesus is the lamb, we'll be singing songs, lion, we'll be singing songs that Jesus is the lamb who was slaughtered. The very thing that people mock Jesus is about is the things that we'll be celebrating in heaven. That he took the scars for us. He overcame the pain, the suffering, and the darkness. And he triumphed over all of that. Jesus' life is our roadmap. That's what Peter is saying. That in your scars, remember his scars. 
Walk in his footsteps. It starts with darkness, but it ends with glory. Trust him. Walk that road to glory, this road of suffering. Jesus' life also gives us a warning in verses 14, 17 to 18. Peter says, if the time of judgment to begin begins at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteousness If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter talks about Christian road is suffering to glory. It's hard. It's difficult, but it ends in glory. But he flips it and he says, what about people who don't obey Jesus and reject him? He says, well, your life is the very opposite. Right now, if you're not a believer in Jesus, right now is as good as it gets. Your life right now, with all of its difficulty, is the best life is ever going to be. All the bad things, though, is a foreshadowing of all the terrible things yet to come. Peter is giving us a warning. Right now is your best life, and the worst is yet to come. The most difficult things that you experience in this life is a foreshadowing of all the difficult things coming your way. Peter gives a sober warning. If you don't have the hope of the gospel, the only good things in life is because God shares it with unbelievers, the light of his glory and his goodness. But one day when you walk away from God, everything will be absent. You will be in outer darkness. The worst is yet to come. And that's why Jesus says to you, come to me. Come to me. I will forgive you. That's always God's promise as long as you're living here on earth, which we none of us know how long. Come to me. I will forgive you. I will heal you. I will rescue you. He says, come to me. But Peter ends with this word of encouragement for those people who do trust in him. Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter says, if you understand this idea of suffering, we can entrust our souls, everything we have to our faithful creator. You know, the only times God is described as a creator in the New Testament is right here in this verse. A creator, it reminds us that God is a creator of everything, all of life, all the beautiful things, the oceans, the forests. The flowers, they're all part of his hand. Sometimes when people are anxious, uh, it's reassuring to go to the beach or go on a hike because creation is unfallen. It's the only perfect thing in this broken world. This world is falling apart, but if you go to the ocean, if you visit the woods, it seems perfect, right? It feels like things are good. Things are all right. Those are the only unfallen things in our universe, the things in his creation. People are messed up, but the, the, the wind and the waves and the mountains, they're unfallen. They speak of God's beauty, of his perfections. of His. That's why it's so relaxing taking a walk, going to the beach. It reminds us of God, of his greatness, of his beauty. And Peter says, entrust yourself to this creator who designed everything good and beautiful. Everything in your life has been designed. Even the hard things are by design. 
even the hardships. So receive them. Receive blessings as well as suffering. Receive them. One with your right hand, the blessings. Receive difficult sufferings with your left hand. They're all from God. They're designed by him. And the most important thing in verse 12, he sums up, he starts this whole section on suffering with this one word that we can close with. That one word is beloved. Beloved. He says, before I talk about suffering and and sum it all up, I want to remind you that you are beloved, that you are loved by God. Don't think when you're going through hard time, God doesn't love me. No, you're beloved. You are his loved. I love this quote from Madeline LaEngle's book, A Ring of Endless Life. She says, nothing loved is ever lost. So nothing truly loved is ever lost. And take that to heart. No matter how lost you feel, no matter how much you suffer, you are eternally loved. You will never be lost. You are the apple of God's eyes. Have the mindset this year that it will be tough, but it's a sign of God's love for me. And I will be praying and asking God, break my heart open. Use me during this time. Help me lean on you. Sanctify me during this time. Help me to take in all that you want from me. Purify me. Help me to know in the midst of that the spirit of glory can rest on me. And you can give me the strength. And one day the darkness will give way to his light. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks this morning for all that you are for us. And Lord, we do know that we're tempted in midst of hard things to forget your love, to question your love. But this morning, I pray that we would be reminded that we are your beloved, that we are the crown of your creation that you gave Jesus for us. Help us in our suffering to be closer to Jesus the man of sorrows. And I pray, God, that you would turn our mourning into dancing, turn our sadness and grief into joy. Pray that your church would reflect, would be a sign in the wilderness that you are at work. Pray that we would do it together as we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.